this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm Anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. What's happening, my brother Mark Vanderwall? How you been, man? I've been good. It's it's been a minute since uh, we t- well we talked on the phone a little bit, but uh, it's been a while since we've done one of these. It's been um, almost a month since we did like a proper retherapy sit down because I think we took a break before um, Aquatic uh, Expo. And That's then true. Yeah, that was recorded, and that bought us a week. And then Steve Weiss came to visit, and that bought us another week. And so it's like, all right, now it's really time to catch up on some of the. Uh, aquariuming that we've both been up to yeah which i'll be the first to admit since the aquatic expo i have not had a lot of time to do anything to my tanks or even enjoy them um which was interesting because it was like this whirlwind weekend of reef stuff and then i went out of town for a week and then i came back and there's folks out of town at my work and i'm sort of you know picking up um, some of some of their stuff so that they can enjoy their time off and then there's a lot of kid activity so it's it's funny because I've got so many awesome uh, new corals and and that new clam you picked out from the aquatic Expo and I, I just walk by and I can't really enjoy them yet you know or really appreciate what's going on there I did I did get off my butt because um, I would have a habit of buying things and, you know, I'd put them in my coral, coral quarantine and then I would just leave them there forever. <laughs> you know, like the, the, the goal was to keep them there for a short period of time, observe, and then move them into the display. But then laziness of having to mount them and, you know, do all that fun stuff gets in the way. So I did this week, just like, all right, I got to get off my butt. Like that, that 20 gallon is not a permanent location for those corals. So... Um, I think I speak for most aquarists, most reefers who have uh, attempted to establish a dedicated coral quarantine tank that it is very natural to just be like, oh, I have a quarantine tank. I can just put all the corals in there and deal with them later. And before you know it, that turns into an aquarium. Yeah. <laughs> it turns into <laughs> a dedicated yeah. aquarium. I think I'm on my third coral QT. And I still do have a dedicated coral hospital, but my last coral QT or just receiving area is full of corals and I got nowhere to put them and they look amazing in there. So it's like, why mess with it? Yeah, it's it's funny because it's mine's a 20 gallon long. Um, it's not very big, probably the least stable tank I'm going to have. Right. And uh, but. It is like it does have that rejuvenating quality. Like anything I throw into it, tends to um, tends to do well, which is which is actually a nice staging ground before you know that coral has to um, go in with the big boys in the big tank. But um, but it also makes you hesitant when you see something doing really well. Like you just don't want to mess with it. You don't want to move it, even though that's the whole point of that tank is to be transitory. That's so, the double edge, yeah, of the coral quarantine. It's when it's doing so well, you're like, well, 
if I move into the main display, is it going to look might that do good worse. still? Yeah. What if <laughs> it, it goes bad worse, at yeah. that point? I'll be pissed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. Especially little corals too, like uh, any any type of cool mushrooms and stuff. I, I've kept them in my quarantine until they've split into two because it's like an insurance policy. Because, you know, how many times have you put a cool mushroom coral in your tank and it just, you know, floats away somewhere, disconnects from where you mounted it and it's gone, you know. So it's nice to have a Mushroom backup. anemone. Yes, sorry. But you know what I mean. Not to be confused with fungid mushroom corals. True. Yeah, I do know what you mean. How are the corals? Well, tell the listeners what you picked up around the Aquatic Expo and how they're doing. Yeah, so I think the... So let me preface this mm -hmm. by saying that when I visited your spot, you know, you had you had a coral quarantine, a nice little Pico, and then two full-on reef tanks. And the tanks were great other than they needed more coral. Uh, yeah. You know, we already talked about how you were maybe a little bit overly aggressive when you went from one tank to the other. I'm like, looking at your tanks, it's not about open space and negative space. I'm just like, you need a little bit more and more variety. And yeah. so uh, we picked you out a few things. So what did you get? And how's it doing? Yeah, so I've been really, um, I, I mean, anyone that's been a listener knows that I'm I'm not really that excited about uh, SPS lately. Um, so I didn't really pick up any Acropora or anything like that. But uh, I, I really zeroed in on any type of peculiar softy or LPS. Um, so at the Expo, I did pick up, um, it's... It looks, I mean, I think it was labeled as a scene arena. I still don't know what it is because it's very ripply, almost like a... Are you talking about the green one? Yeah. Almost like an acantho, right? But it's it's like somewhere in between. I don't know um, if it's... I know we talked about it possibly being an endophilia, but probably not. I don't know. It's, it's funky looking, though. Yeah. What were you going to say? No, it very much straddles the... Uh, the middle between a cinerina and an endophilia and an acanthophilia, right? So if you picture a real good classic cinerina in even medium to to medium highlight, they're always translucent, yeah, right? They're really colorful, but also very translucent. And you can see the septa, um, you know, inside the vesicles. And endophilia is going to darken up a little bit more. And it's so funny that, you know, by most measures, green is not a color that people are really aiming for in the reef aquarium world for most strains but um in in cinerina they're almost all pink or some version of red and so this one to be like kind of you know a fluorescent forest green with that funky zigzag all around god that was a really cool coral and by any measure that is way more rare than any shade of pink or orangey cinerina that's a cool one yeah and it was what I consider, I guess, reasonably priced, considering how much the more common red ones were going for at yeah. that, that every vendor had. Um, yeah, so that was cool. Um, did pick up some Micromusa fla uh, frags. Um, they were just they just had lots of little varieties for cheap, so you could you know build yourself like a little garden of them. Um, so left to his own devices, Mark would oh, yeah. not fill up this tank for like two or three years. Like it would take that long for the corals to grow out or for you to get like 
two or three frags every two or three months, <laughs> you know? So when I was there, I was like, come on, man, come on, get some more corals, put them in yeah. there. So at every turn I was, <laughs> I got him some corals at his local store without him. And then, you know, egged him on to just, Hey man, you have the room. I saw your tanks. You have more than enough room. And so I was really pushing him to step on the gas just a little bit. Um, so, you know, I think you got a nice little injection into your collection. Yeah, it's uh I'm I'm pretty stoked with it. Uh the now it just got to you know I, now I'm I feel very pot committed in LPS corals that um you know I haven't kept in a long time or have never kept. So it's funny I feel more pressure on the secondary tank now that was never that was just supposed to be you know just a fun little side project to my main reef, but my main reef is just, mm -hmm. you know, it's the kitchen sink tank, right? It's a community, I call it a community tank, the way we call freshwater tanks, community tanks. Um, so things, things tend to do all right in there, but I don't really challenge myself. And now I'm keeping a bunch of corals and I'm like, okay, these things need to be fed. Um, very low flow, very low light is what I'm trying to go with for now. Um, and they and, seem to really like not it. not too clean. Yeah. Yeah. It's, the, yeah, we can talk about other things about that tank later, but th there is some weird stuff going on with that tank that I can't quite explain. But um, but yeah, so I, I so I don't did, know if you yeah go ahead. I don't know if you remember this um, little instance from Aquatic Expo, but you weren't around, so I picked you up a Lord uh, strain that was kind of red with some spokes on it, and then when I brought it over to you, you had already yeah. bought the other frag of that and it was you know kind of a little bit more in the classic micromusa department but i just thought it was classy or just like um legendary that like we both saw a giant group of lords frags a reasonably priced you had already picked out the strain and i picked out the same strain and we're not talking about like rainbow or crazy stuff but no. we just both honed in on the same one without each other being there and then i handed you the frag because i bought it for you but now you have two so you can you know send me one in the future yeah and they're both doing good i, I put them next to each other so that you know they can sort of grow into each other and and you know frag them out so um and so they're and not lonely <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, yeah, uh, I did pick up a little green Wilsoni, um, which is doing really well. And then the one that I picked up that you had actually posted um, on Reef Builders, uh, what was the article name? Uh, it was you, you basically went shopping and it was like, here's some good corals out there. Um, oh, right. Um, oh, my goodness. I can't remember. I'm blanking out for a second. Was that the Wilson I frag? Yeah. That was the other one. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so oh, I have two, oh, yeah. I have two sure of exactly those now, and they're up. both holding their color. So I think you were saying that um, they're doing a much better job temp acclimating them before they get to the customer these days. Um, so I, that seems to be the case because they're doing really well. Um, and then you surprised me with a sweet squamosa clam, which uh, I wouldn't call it a blue squamosa, but it's like a blue spotted squamosa. It's crazy. It's It's... To me, Listen, it's cooler than. Couple, yeah, we're about to say the same thing. I <laughs> oh, have a yeah. couple like solid blue squamosas, and your blue squad is spotted squamosa. It's just got more pattern and more it contrast does. and more things to catch the eye. And that was a, a biota cultured one, and 
all, I think they had three squamies when I first picked that one out, and they all looked amazing. They all had that kind of that blue spot quality. Um, so if you're looking, so if you don't know this, blue squamosas um, before they were really line bred, and we, you know, they knew how to produce them and offer them to us as a pure blue squamosa. Um, most reefers would buy just a random squamosa, maybe looking out for a little bit of those blue spots. And then as they grew, the blue became more and more and more dominant until you ended up with a wildly patterned blue squamosa. And so that's what Biota's producing. I'm not sure how much they're aiming for that blue spotted trait. You know, I'm sure they brought out some exemplary specimens to the Aquatic Expo. Uh, but yeah, the one that you got was like super fair price and really awesome color as is with even more potential down the road. Yeah. And no, I mean, I keep my lights more in the 10 to 14 K range. So it, it looks in my opinion, better in my tank than it did at the Expo as well. Oh, um, I believe that. But I had to take a chance with that guy because um, it's funny. I had multiple conversations at the expo, if you know, about if you have a healthy clam, don't go buy more clams, right? Um, but I was leaving town, and the only other tank I could put it in, I felt like the light intensity wasn't adequate for a clam. So I just had mm -hmm. to say, okay, screw it. It's going in the big tank with uh, with the Duresa clam that I have that I had for a while. And so far, so good. Again, knock on wood. Unfortunately, that tank does have uh, pyramid snails, which I see all the time on my Astria snails. But I did pick up a Melanaris ras uh, recently, and hopefully he can uh, help me keep that in check. Yeah, so. you, you know, we've um, I have railed against uh, this myth that dragonface pipefish will eat your red bugs off your acros or spring-eyed damselfish will eat random flatworms when you're offering them really good food. But leopard wrasses for pyramid snails, if you're really into, into clams, you must have a macropharyngodon leopard wrasse. They don't just go after them. Like any time you put a new clam in there, they will very aggressively just look all over the clam and when i introduced a leopard grass to my clam collection it, it eradicated the permadellid snails in that tank just no time at all no time i did yeah i did a couple maybe a month ago i tried to get a um a leopard grass um but it like a blue star leopard grass and it just it wasted away, unfortunately. It was a quarantine one as well. Um, I just didn't have good luck mm -hmm. with it. Um, it was trying out a new quarantine vendor that I, I did not have very good luck with. So I went back to TSM who had a Melanaris ras, and that thing just showed up eating like a like a guppy begging for food. So uh, I, <clears throat> as long as he doesn't jump uh, or at least doesn't jump past my um, – my rim, which is taller than most tanks, right? Uh, then I'll be happy. They have to be really motivated to to jump out of your tank as much, you know, extra space as you have below the glass. But did I tell you the story when we were doing one of the reef therapies? Uh, my daughter was sitting in that room just on her laptop doing whatever she does, and uh, she heard a plop, and she looked down, and my. Um, uh, my swallowtail angel had jumped out and into a bucket I keep beside the tank where I dump like wet tools to dry, right? So it doesn't ruin my floor. And uh, she was it had fresh water, huh? No, there's no water. Was it a freshwater bucket? There's no water. In oh, it. So oh, this oh, oh, thing, just a bucket. Okay, just a bucket. This thing like landed four feet down into a flat bucket. You know, I'm surprised it didn't have any <laughs> internal hemorrhaging. 
Um, and so she just picked it up and put it back in the tank. And I came upstairs after talking with you for an hour and she's like, I saved your fish. I'm like, which fish, you know? And I was, was shocked that it was a, uh, a genicanthus angel that went for the, for the wings and flew. <laughs> so wow, yeah, made it over the wall anyway. Right on. So tell me about your world, man. I haven't, uh, haven't talked to you, uh, too much. So it's, it's news to me. Man, I've been like just firing on all cylinders uh, aquarium-wise. Um, I just got a batch of skimmers from Ukraine today. Wow. The really interesting one, I think it's uh, Alex Lago and Co. I mean, they have kind of a anglicized version of their business name. Um, but they're really neat. Um, they're like laser-cut acrylic parts, you know, for flat pieces and for the... A regular acrylic or you know just cut acrylic and but it's like a pipeless no volume skimmer and about half of it is 3d printed wow. and super neat like i haven't plugged them in yet just barely assembled them but the smallest one i mean it's maybe like 15 16 inches and half of that is cup like the cup is almost as big or bigger than the entire skimmer body. And part of the reason I can get away with that is because it uses the um, no volute. So it, it literally injects the air at the very base of the skimmer. Just and and <laughs> on the smaller model, you twist the lid and there's like, he called it a clutch that connects a lid to the pump, but the pump is attached to kind of the central inside of the body. And that moving that whole assembly actually opens and closes uh, the outlet for the water going out. So that's how you regulate the water with it just by unscrewing the lid. So super neat. And these were actually sent after the invasion of Ukraine started. They're manufactured in Odessa. And um, the, the medium one has a, a different pipeless skimmer design. It's like a little dial and it connects to a shaft in the bottom that there's a ring. And I guess there's another box coming with an even bigger skimmer because I got a, a few of those parts. Um, so yeah, just super neat, uh, very short, very squat, but not really skinny skimmers. And if, if I'm looking at the small one, I'm like, I think that might be the best small skimmer ever. I haven't plugged it in yet, um, but it's got a 3D printed needle wheel. It's got a 3D printed bubble diffuser, 3D printed um, connector between the body and the cup. And man, it's just uh, something radically different. And I'm very excited to try those out. And it's just, you know, this definitely gives me the feels knowing that these came out of Ukraine after the invasion started. It's kind of kind of wild. Have you been in contact with them the whole time? Um, I did a feature on them about two years ago. Mm -hmm. And then like shortly after the invasion started, uh, Alexander reached out to me about the skimmers, you know, like there's no reason not to support the economy, especially during this time, right? You need to keep all the, the facets of an economy of a society running. And so, you know, I'm going to do my best to shine a light on these very unique and very innovative protein skimmers. Nice. Yeah, yeah. They're they're definitely just they, they combine interesting features from that we've seen in a lot of different skimmers. But you know, when there's a new skimmer, a protein skimmer, there it's enough usually for them to introduce like one innovation to get our attention. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, whether it's like a, a ring-shaped silencer or a DC pump or sine wave control or a unique something unique about the impeller or the outflow. So it's kind of neat to see someone who's clearly kind of studied the, the field for more than a little while and just kind of brought in a lot of these different features into one design and then kind of, uh, you know, put his own touch on it. So, yeah, I'm excited to fire these up. Nice. That'll be cool to see. Yeah, yeah. Um, I after you know after two months of research and sourcing and research and sourcing, I finally started uh, buffing out that acrylic tank that I moved in February. Right. So for those of you who haven't caught up with all the reef builders um, adventures, I picked up this 15 year old about 200 gallon kind of a squat cube aquarium. Um, and moved it to the studio. It had an acrylic stand and the stand busted. So video number two, I set up a saltwater pond to hold everything in um, a trough, a hundred gallon trough. And then video number three is I built kind of a um, composite style stand that is uh, kind of stapled or nailed together. But so very different from kind of a, a solid wood uh, two by four stand, very blocky and very you know, modern looking, I guess. And so I've been just talking primarily with Matt Conrad of Sea um, Clear. Like his whole shtick, his whole jam, his whole you know career is refinishing acrylic uh, aquariums. And I'm sure he will refinish any ac acrylic, even if it's not an aquarium. But especially for public aquariums, you know, especially when the tank is still running. And so this guy is just so hyper focused. You know, he's got air powered tools that are. I guess saltwater safe or he rinses them off and uses, you know, the best tools with the best sandpaper, with the best polisher and the polishing pads and the, um, uh, the lubrication uh, solution for when you're in the polishing stages. And goodness gracious, if you go on YouTube and you try to learn a little bit about like buffing out an acrylic tank, you'll get this super rudimentary, like, yeah not really a tutorial on what to do to get scratches out. Like, okay, yeah, they really will touch upon like the tip of the iceberg, but they don't really go into any of the nuance, you know, and Matt Conrad has fielded probably like 10 phone calls from me in the last two months. And I think the last two or three times I'm like, okay, it's the last time. Okay. This is the last time. <laughs> so anyway, um, I, I got 10 different grits of sandpaper 10 of each to switch them out often. Uh, I have my sander and wet sanding. I rented a polisher. I got my buffing pads and my buffing solution. And it was, it really did take two months of research to figure out how to do this properly. So Monday I sanded yesterday. I buffed after picking up the polisher, um, to do the final stage. And there's three sides to this aquarium, you know? So it's like a, oh man, what was it like three feet by two feet panel on both sides, like a peninsula cube, right? Yeah. And then uh, almost four foot by three foot panel on the front side. So I've done one side and I've learned from my mistakes and um, done the technique. And I'll tell you what, man, I'm still into it for like several hundred dollars, I think, just from the consumable pads, the sandpaper, the tool rental, and the buffing solution. 
not to mention the time. But this is something that's been on my bucket list for a really, really, really long time. I'd never buffed an acrylic tank. I know acrylic tanks are not part of the scene anymore so much. But it was just something I'd always wanted to do. I'd resealed glass tanks. I'd rebuilt sumps and all kinds of different things. But I had never buffed, you know, a really uh, well-used acrylic tank. And the thing is, like, yeah, all right, if it seems like a lot of work. But a really large acrylic tank, you know, if when you get into the largest tanks, there is a monumental gap between the price of an acrylic tank and a glass tank. This is thinking about before pre-pandemic and supply constraints. Right. So who knows nowadays? But I do know that there's still like a lot of leftover acrylic tanks. On my local groups, people are giving them away all the time because no one wants to be bothered to buff them or sand out any kind of scratches. So I'm learning that and I got the scratches out and there's there's just so much to it. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of a, a aquarium experience that I've always wanted to go on. Um, I mean, I'm going to be, again, I'm going to be in it to it for a few hundred dollars for the materials and a few days of work by the time it's all said and done. But once it's done, I can finally, you know, move all the animals from the saltwater pond back into that tank, rebuild that tank in a modern way. And then I'll have basically three by four by, you know, 30 inches of reef volume in which to put corals again. So yeah. that's going to be pretty cool just to lighten the load on all the other tanks. And, uh, you know, it's like, it's like we're short on reef tanks here at the studio. <laughs> so, the, you know, I did that Monday and Tuesday. Yeah, the thing about uh, polishing stuff like that is that for me, the hard part is, having faith because you have to make it worse before you make it better when you start to start with like a lower grit first right and then you go up and up and up in grit um i haven't done that with an acrylic tank but i've had to polish out some other things and it's just nerve-wracking when you're trying to take out a scratch and you're like okay i'm just gonna voluntarily mess up this whole area and dull the crap out of it right and then it's gonna come mm -hmm. back slowly um i've always wanted to uh build my own acrylic sump you know, um, but I just didn't want to invest in the tools to do it. You know, like having a, I guess, a good table saw with the kind of blade that I could cut acrylic no, with no, clean no, no, no. and then having a do router. Maybe a, what? Many of these acrylic builders order up their acrylic pre-cut. It depends yeah. on what scale they're at. But I know a lot of hobbyists who do it on their own. They'll order that stuff pre-cut and then they just assemble it. You still, you know, probably want a router for finishing touches. Um, but yeah, you know, you get what I'm saying. Some of these things we always thought we would do. There was a time when a lot of folks were just building their own sumps and building their own tanks. Well, we so had to, right? And and so it's, oh yeah, it's, or know someone who did. Yeah, or know someone who did. So yeah, you know, if you want to talk about the aquarium hobby being expensive, like. Yeah, reduce some of the cost by doing some of these things yourself, get a little elbow grease into it. One thing I do know for certain is that when I look at this tank, once it's completed, when I look at that tank, there's going to be a very different sense of connection with that aquarium than like any of the glass tanks that I just bought, you know, or received off the shelf, right? Yeah, I put sense my of pride, own time right? and elbow grease into it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and I built the stand and going to rebuild the sump and stuff. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. So I got one pane done. It's not flawless, but I think I know what I did wrong. So I started with like the least important pane, and then I'll do the second most important pane, and then the, the import most important pane last. So that's the acrylic work. Um, 
I just want to mention that like I've been, you know, keeping up with my phosphate dosing and oh my goodness, that was really for the way my tanks operate, that was the last thing that I was really missing to limiting get my corals from like Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It was the weak link, but it took my, you know, corals from like 85% flawless to 95 plus percent flawless. And yeah, it's a really good feeling to look at the corals. I'm like, all right, now you really, really look like you should too. You got the polyp extension, you had the color, but now you've got the richness and then, you know, the axial tips kind of busting out on acros. Um, you just, yeah, really see a, a huge difference for the way my tanks are going. I operated for years thinking if I have algae growth, then I must have phosphates, but I just didn't realize how limiting my phosphates levels were until you know we had ready access to ppm and ppb phosphate testing and so for the first month or so you know we were pretty on top of ppm testing or testing phosphates at in at, with the resolution of parts per million and now and now i kind of know that like you know each of the tanks will consume about 0 0.02 parts per million of phosphates per day but now for the first time we've switched over to the parts per billion checker the hana checker and parts per billion to give us a little bit more resolution on how much is being consumed right because if i test in the morning and it's 0, 0.00 parts per million then i dose at 0 0.02 parts per million uh, right afterwards and at the end of the day you know when the lights are starting to go down it's at 0, 0.00 in parts per million but if i use parts per billion i can get um, a better feel of whether it's using 15 parts per billion or 25 parts per billion and that's you know like you don't have to go that far honestly right. you don't don't you no one no one has to do that but it's just nice to get a real quantitative uh, understanding of what's happening in the mineral and nutrient consumption of these aquariums. So, so yeah, it's, it's something I don't have to do and it's not critical, but yeah, two or three times a week, I'm in there adding, uh, you know, up to about 0 0.05 or half, uh, yeah, half of a PPM of phosphates a week. <laughs> it's crazy. It's kind of crazy. So I've got a weird thing going on with the tank in my basement, uh, the water box where, and I, I think I know the reason, but I guess I'd love to hear from listeners who also use this product. So um, I wanted to do something, you know, I, I wanted to try new things with that tank, right? So one was the filter roller. The other thing is um, I'm a big doser guy, right? I, I My calcium reactor has been collecting dust on a shelf for a few years now, um, but I've always been the traditional two-part doser, but this whole Alpha Reef, the calcium for formate, um, I found interesting mm -hmm. of dosing a singular solution, not having it increase my salinity over time, um, but it's a product that derives the alkalinity component through bacterial action, right? Um, and I don't know if it's the cause of this, uh, but... Uh, I get a film on my glass, and when I scrape it, it's like a bacterial film that comes off, not like an algal film. So I feel like mm -hmm. I'm getting a bit of um, bacterial sludge buildup, um, similar to like if you're dosing vodka or uh, carbon you're dosing no too heavily, right? Or when you've got your Zeovit reactor and you... I never used it, but, you know, people talk about like shaking up the uh, zeolites and like that bacterial film would you know 
kind of slough off. And I know exactly what you mean, but can you describe for our listeners and viewers the difference between what would be mostly a, bac a bacterial film versus an algae film? Yeah, I mean, with algae, you're going to see some color to it more so, right? You're going to see a green or a brown affiliated with it, brown being something like diatoms or something not quite algae, right? Dinoflagellates. But, um, and then you, you've got your typical green film. And then, of course, you got cyano, which is, of course, a bacteria, but it's like your maroon, red, burgundy film. This is more like a gray, clear kind of frosty, like frosted glass film, right? And it comes off in sheets. Mm -hmm. um, and what's interesting is when I do scrape the glass, you know, again, this is a very LPS heavy tank. The corals go straight up into feeding action. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Like I thought all of this stuff that's like, you know, you know, when you feed too much nori and you got nori floating around your tank, but think of it as bacterial film, mm -hmm. you think it would irritate the corals, but um they all get into feeding mode. I just mode. love yeah. the imagery of you scraping the thin gelatinous film off your glass <laughs> and that just landing in your corals for whatever reason. So what? So I'm not super familiar with all for reef. Yeah, I'm, so I'm not either. So can you just give me, the, give me the TLDR on what you think you know about it? Yeah, I won't get to chemistry because I will flop on my face, but so it's calcium formate. The calcium, you know, is bioavailable, uh, but the formate piece gets consumed by bacteria. And then the byproduct of that is alkalinity, is basically carbonates, right? Alkalinity. And um, it's a tricky thing to dose for that reason because it's not like you can dose it and immediately see a boost in your alkalinity, right? So getting honing in or dialing in the dosage is a little trickier for people. I think the general consensus for some people is that they just um, test the calcium. I still do it based on alkalinity, but this is a tank with slow-growing LPS corals, right? We're talking about trachea, cinerinas, uh, micromusas. You know, if the alkalinity goes from 9 to 6 or whatever, I don't run it that high, but it ain't going to it ain't going to like make a coral RTN overnight or anything like that, like an SBS tank where you're, you know, a big shift in alkalinity may piss somebody off. So I'm not too worried about it. So I'm, I'm taking my slow patient time dialing it in. And I've got it dialed into about my ALK stays around 7.8, 8 to 8, you know, so that range. But I'm getting this bacterial buildup, which is really peculiar. Uh, so I think it's essentially carbon dosing my tank at the same time. Um, I do run a skimmer. I do have a filter roller, right? So things are getting removed. But um, it's it's definitely growing on the surface, right, of of, uh, of my glass and rocks and all that fun stuff. Does Tropic Marin, do they say this? Do they say, hey, this is akin to carbon dosing? This is going to grow bacteria. This is probably going to help you knock down some nu nutrients. Like how much documentation do they provide with this? Because I, I feel like it's a little bit um And I could be off shifty. there, right? Because I'm, I'm probably baking, I'm, I'm probably confusing different types of bacterial action, right? So the kind that, the, 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 I, I don't know. I'm not a microbiologist, but um, I, I don't think you, I don't think you're off. Okay, I don't think you're off. <laughs> I'm just you saying that as a about. disclaimer, right? Like it's um, maybe the bacteria that are consuming the formate are less um, 
are, are less needy or dependent on phosphate and nitrate consumptions or nitrogenous waste consumptions. Um, but I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's just, um, I could be off base, right? I mean, uh, some of the listeners could be like, nope, I've never seen that. And maybe all, everything I'm seeing is completely unrelated to what I'm dosing. But I'm literally adding nothing else, right? I'm not even adding iodine, which I usually like to add. I'm not adding any type of trace elements to this tank. It's really just trying to, you know, because I, I felt like I was still trying to dial in the dosing to begin with, right? So I didn't want to add a bunch of other crap. So I don't know. Kind of an open-ended question because I know you don't use it, and I'm a neophyte at using it. So, well, uh, well I'm not. I'm not against it. I just, yeah, you know, like all right, calc slurry. Why am I going to use calc slurry when I'm already do, doing calc the right way? You know, a lot of people are asking me about it. I'm like, all right. I mean, if you want a training wheels for dosing calc washer, you go right ahead. And I'm just kind of using it like the normal classic way, and it doesn't really interest me. So same thing with that. It's something that I, you know, keen on. I probably was first to write about it four years ago when they introduced it at uh, Interzoo. And it's one of those things I was like, mm, I don't know if that's really going to work. You know, there's been a lot of um, additives that have promised all in yeah. one results. Yeah, there's been so many, but it does seem like it, over time um, it has uh, worked for some people. So, um, yeah, I, I think like that might be something I, I can. Sorry, go ahead. That might be something I can recommend for other users. I, I, I mean, I, I've seen a lot of good feedback on it, and it's and it, the only negative is that's a little pricey when you start to dose it in large quantities. God, but it's always is, a catch. Yeah, <laughs> there's always a catch. Um, but there are trace elements in it, so it is a, a sort of an all-in-one, which appealed to me versus doing just calc, right? But mm -hmm. part of me has is thinking I might just get a calc reactor and go old school on it if uh, if this bacterial crap continues. So, mm. and maybe just switch to uh, calc washer, but then I gotta dial that in. That's gonna be a pain in the ass. But um, Maybe switching to that and seeing if the problem goes away and doing some if this, then that, you know, and figuring out what the hell is going on. It's not bugging anything. Everybody seems happy in it, but it's just weird. And I even get like a, I've even noticed uh, oily film at times on my surface. Oh, um, no, 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 no. I don't know oh, where no, that's no, coming no. That's from. That's too much. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm feeding new life spectrum pellets like I always have. Um, I'm not doing uh, much in terms of frozen food. So, yeah, there's some weird stuff going on. I mean, maybe my kids are dumping something in the tank that I know, don't know about, you know. <laughs> I don't think your kids are doing that. You no. raise your kids properly. They know, <laughs> they, they, they know, they better. know better. Yeah. So, anyway, just something. Um, all right. A total aside. Yeah. I, I have been on such a freshwater kick lately. Yeah. Such a fresh market because my, my, my reef tanks are doing so well and the corals are all fine. My biggest problem is like, I need to figure out a pipeline to get rid of stuff locally and uh, trade coral frags for freshwater stuff. <laughs> 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 Sounds really funny, but um, that's where I'm at right now. Um, just, you know, for those of you guys that are somewhat familiar with the freshwater side of things, um, getting four L236 Zia Placos. Today, I got two pairs of Epistogramma trifasciata, hmm. and I picked up a few funky plants the other day, and I've just been spending a lot more time, um, I don't know, just dabbling in the freshwater world. There's there's something to be said for that, man. I, I think, uh, to 
even though I don't have a freshwater tank right now, I I always feel like something's missing when I don't have one and I just have only saltwater tanks. Um, Let's come back to that and because we I think that's part of the burnout in, in a yeah, way. Yeah. Um, let's just talk about Steve Weiss' visit and then we'll talk into we'll jump into it like our main topic of discussion as far as like managing and dealing with burnout. So I, you know, Steve Weiss has been an incredible inspiration. Even people who don't know him were influenced by people that were influenced by him. You know, like his it's crazy. I don't think there's been a single aquarium ever 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 that has had such an understated influence on the broader reef aquarium hobby than his if you want to know what his tank looks like that's that's all the marketing for reef nutrition right so when you see the reef nutrition fridge and i guess maybe like some of the labels are on their bottles that's his tank but anyway he basically did the i set up the studio thinking to myself on so many installs, on on the way the equipment was used, on how it was oriented, on how the tank was put together, on how much I could hide the equipment. Everything for me was like, what would Steve Weiss think? What would he think? And, you know, he was. I think he was uh, not disappointed <laughs> when he came to Golden, Colorado, specifically to visit the studio. And um, it was just so cool. Um, I bet it was cool for you listening to Reef Therapy. Yeah that you didn't you know weren't a part of and it's just it's different when you're not in it and you're like oh i can actually listen to this and yeah steve weiss just has some great points and the one of the ones that really blew my mind is how much he cherishes having a sand bed in his tank and how in tune he is with how bad it is for your aquarium don't take it from me a sand bed is the worst thing you can do for your aquarium. I know there's some people like just spinning in their chairs right now, but it is basically one of the hardest things to try to deal with over a long term. I'm sure there's people here who's, you know, four on their fourth or fifth tank over say eight to 10 years. But when you have a lot of different tanks and you have one that has sand and one that doesn't, it's just like night and day. And so the fact that he was telling me that, you know, he uses special grade and he stirs it up several times a week not once a week i mean he's in there all the time making sure to dislodge the nutrients um trying to prevent any ick from building up and just you know hear it from someone else like that that was that was really really cool not to mention just you know some of his uh very opinionated feedback for um some of the directions that the aquarium hobby is going i feel like when we say things like that the direction that the aquarium hobby is going we should in our minds be thinking the direction that popular online stuff is going right because right. there's yeah. a, there's a silent majority who just does awesome reef tanks and they don't like stand up on a soapbox and talk about what they're doing yeah i was actually like gonna waste i was gonna say that is um having bore witness to that tank um getting exposed on the internet and you know at a time you know like i i remember that that era of reef keeping and um it's similar to sort of a topic we talked about at the expo and I, I i don't consider him the beginner in this equation but like if i could twist the analogy a little bit where you know sometimes the expert only sees one solution but at the beginner sees many right because the beginner hasn't mm -hmm. been inundated with a bunch of information that that just restricts his thinking take the word beginner out of it and take someone who just doesn't 
spend a lot of time arguing in forums, right? They're just off in their own world reef keeping. And he was not, as far as I remember, and of course, you know, we all have selective memory, but he was not this loud voice on the forums arguing at everybody. He just kind of came in out of left field with this amazing reef aquarium that made everyone stop and pause, right? And I think part of that was the exposure of that website. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. He let the results speak for themselves. Exactly. (laughs) He never argued or debated this or that. You know, maybe if you're in person with a beard, like, you know, and get a little worked up. But he was never one to be like, this is how you need to do it. He's just like, just, just. He didn't, he didn't, you know, he was, he just pointed his tank. He was like, hey, look at, look at the tank. Yeah. Look at the, and the then all the people arguing with I'm each so- other on the forums all just stopped and went, wait, what? <laughs> you know, I mean, that tank was, <laughs> was spectacular. I remember when I first saw it, I didn't believe that it was in the United States. And I don't mean that as a, as an attack on Americans and reef keeping. I just, tanks time, of that caliber were always either from Europe or Japan I mean, some of the Japanese the tanks we thing. were seeing, you know, I, I was like, that's, that's not from the States. That's like some, some Japanese reef tank or something. And then it was Oregon some, reef. And I was like, wait, super what? hyper Zen shit. Yeah. <laughs> Which listening to him, um, the thing that resonated with me is just how absolutely meticulous he is about everything, about every detail. And he has opinions, very strong opinions about everything, but they're extremely well thought out, well formed opinions based on experience and experimentation. And to me, that's very akin to sometimes the the stereotypes about the meticulousness of Japanese gardening or bonsai or, you know, and then there's always stereotypes about the Germans, right? And they're just very, um, uh, they're perfectionist, right? that kind of thing. So it's just very, again, I'm, I'm totally tromping into stereotypes here, but that's why I didn't believe this was like an American reef. It also wasn't built on like all this horsepower and like gadgetry. And anyway, it was fun listening to him after, um, not really hearing about him for a while. You know, I know you, you were in touch with him, but as a, just a regular reef keeper, I hadn't, you know, I was surprised he still had a reef aquarium at this point. Um, he took a break, but yeah. I feel like this is a great segue into the main topic we want to talk about. You know, I we we hustled here at the studio to get things ready for visitors. We worked on reef stock and having that and then caught our breath. And then, you know, shortly before that, I went to Aquashella in Orlando. And then after reef stock, I was like ramping up to come see you in Atlanta. And then, you know, just had that refilled weekend. And then the following weekend, Steve came and just like it was just nonstop reef talk. And so that was about a, let's just call it a six week stretch where things were really intense. And I wouldn't say it was the burnout, but I wasn't really hyped to, to go look at, you know, any given coral um, following that. And I feel that's like the key to long term success in the hobby is, you know, reefing in such a way that it's sustainable for you mentally and emotionally you know when you first start out a tank 
whether it's your first one or your first one this year, um, you're engaged, you're in it, you're thinking about all the factors and all the variables. And, um, you know, a lot of times if you're dabbling a lot online, you're probably thinking about a lot of ideas that aren't going to help or hurt your aquarium. But uh, then, you know, in a longer period of time, obviously there's going to be seasons when you're like really into it and other times when you're just you just it's not that you're not into your reef tank you just want to enjoy the summer you want to go fishing you go want to go camping you want to go uh, diving or travel or you know just something else and so yeah we got to manage the burnout and uh i don't know maybe it's just so deep in my blood's aquariums that for me like kind of mitigating just uh the saturation level of reef reef aquariums is shifting gears a little bit more into fresh water right. that's why i've been reading my amazonas magazine and learning about tetras and you know buying some new pairs of dwarf cichlids and fancy hypencistrus placos and you know just spending a little bit more time doubling my freshwater tanks than my saltwater ones that's one of the ways that that i uh cope that's one of the ways that i manage i just want to give a shout out to you know if you if you if you've got this hobby in your blood um, I love the stories, right? I love the history of things and whether you accept it or not, the history of the saltwater aquarium hobby is firmly rooted in the freshwater aquarium hobby. So that's kind of the approach that I take and two really fun books, nonfiction books. Um, this is the first one that I read uh, a while back by Ross Sokoloff, Confessions of a Tropical Fish Addict. This is actually a reprint. Um, they reprinted these. Uh, in the last several years, just a fun read talking about how fish used to be shipped around and the discovery of certain, you know, iconic freshwater species and the opening of like, you know, Tanganyika in West Africa for African cichlids and just pretty much right along there by Rosario Lacorte is um, an Aquarius journey. And both these books just, man, they really just talk about a lot of the early things that have happened. I think... We're still maybe a decade or two off for some for some of the pillars of the saltwater aquarium hobby to write these kind of books. But in the meantime, these gives these two books give a lot of great um, framing and insight to the excitement over you know the neon tetra. Like you know, imagine the early days of the saltwater aquarium hobby, like when the when the Bangai cardinal fish was first introduced. I was going to bring that yeah, up. That's yeah. kind of which is funny because that's kind of like our cardinal tetra is yeah. a Bengai cardinal fish, right? That was just so crazy. And there was enough of them. And then they turned out to be mouth brooders. You can write, I mean, <laughs> I was about to say you could write a whole book on that fish. And I realized it's right oh, behind they you. Did. They did. <laughs> I see it. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. Um, it's on yeah, the same no, shelf as Varen. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a great read, too, which has a good storytelling in it as well, that book. Um, it's to the right. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's a good book. I enjoyed that Bang reading that. Fish. Um, yeah, the freshwater world's pretty crazy. I mean, learning about uh, Bricardi, um, and and then of course Herbert Axelrod and all those guys. I mean, they were characters, right? Back in a in a time where mm -hmm. aquarium keeping was uh, a lot more primitive, if you will. Um. And I mean, they were going into the Amazon, for example, at a time where that's that was still. I mean, not that it isn't crazy today, but back then, that, that was, was like going to Mars. Yeah, yeah, that was that's, basically like going to the moon. Yeah, that that was some serious like you could die crap to go get get some fish back, you know. So, um, 
Yeah. yeah. It's crazy how far they went to get a few black phantom tetras that now you can pick up at any Petco or PetSmart for <laughs> right. two forty nine. Yeah. It doesn't yeah, it's nuts. I was like, oh, he died of malaria. You know, it's like, oh, okay, what was he doing? Oh, collecting fish. So you you brought up this topic of like yeah. burnout and stuff. So I'm guilty is, of this a lot. Well, you've also coasted, you yeah. know, for 25 years in the reef aquarium hobby. You can't be at fever pitch all the time. No, but I know? look at people like you where you maintain, you know, for you, it's, it's like your lifeblood, right? You've got reef builders and you're on all the time when it comes to hobby. Whereas, um, you know, you've known me in this, in the hobby sense, you've probably known me longer than anybody else. Um, I wax and wane at times, right? I've hit some burnouts where I keep my tank going, but my involvement in the hobby wanes because I'm a little bit, uh, worn out. I think a lot of that had to do with forums and just the way the nature mm-hmm. of forums would burn me out. Um, but you'd see me writing stuff, contributing stuff for you, and then I'd disappear off the radar for a while, right? So it was an interesting topic for me because, uh, you know, I, I feel it in its seasonality too, like you said about summertime. So I thought, well, let's talk about it, right? Let's talk about it not in a way... I think I think I have some good ideas on how I deal with it and how we um, not avoid it because I think if you try to avoid it or fight it, you're gonna do yourself in. That's, you know, that's the worst thing. I feel like the most important, the first step is acceptance. Yeah, right. You know, when you start out a reef tank and you're plugged into your apex is controlling you and the you're you're looking at all the values and you're chasing that pH and you th- you know especially the first year of in the hobby or the first year of any given reef tank there's a certain amount of guilt when you stop doing that mm-hmm. but this hobby would not exist if everybody had to be like a fever pitch with their reef tank all the time yeah i agree and i think the first thing you got to realize is like hey turn some of those you know gadgets off and just let your tank coast yeah. Like you'll, you'll probably be all right. You know, I would say that, you know, of the, the people watching and listening, if you go through a spell and you find a way to make your tank just coast when you're just not super into it or you just want to pay attention to other things, having a child or family issues or family uh, priorities is, you know, that's another big one. Um, I would say half the people who do that will find their tank does better. And they will realize that they were probably obsessing over every detail like you would a newborn child in a way that you probably don't have to. Yeah, I I mean, I wrote something on Reef Builders about, you know, um, caring for your Benign tank. neglect. That's a yeah. classic post. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny. Um, that tank that I set up when right before my son was born – uh, and that was my second child. So it's not like I was getting any sleep before then because I still had my daughter who was four at the time. Um, but I mean, we talked about how at one point I didn't do a water change on that tank for over a year. And I think I wrote about that too and wrote about doing an ICP test on the tank out of sheer curiosity and how everything looked totally fine. Um, it and was wholly unremarkable, yeah. your ICP chemistry, after a year of putting it into cruise control. 
And, you know, stuff like that made it made me feel less guilty about it, too, you know, of this. Um, sometimes it's kind of interesting to see how your little ecosystem of a box and it's not a true ecosystem, but, you know, your little uh, your little garden, how it does when when you're not sticking your hands in it all the time. And we talked about the art of coasting right recently. Um, so accepting that it's going to happen, designing your tank ahead of time so that it can be manageable during those times right don't don't go set up a tank with that needs so much intervention from you that when you get bored for a while the whole thing falls apart right um and um you know it's also fun to when you do get when winter hits or whatever draws you back in you know georgia has really rainy crappy winters and that's usually when i get feverish about reef keeping again it's like, hey, how you doing? Holy crap, that blasto went out of control and grew and did this and that, you know, stung that coral. Oh my god. You know, and it's just this rediscovery of 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 your reef is it's actually kind of interesting and fun, you know? So I'm I'm not saying you, neglect you hit it, the nail. But, you know, sorry, yeah. You hit the nail on the head. There is something really cool about stepping in your way from your reef tank or just putting it on coast for a week, a month, a season. And then, you know, when you get the outdoor blues again and you say, hey, I have this hobby over here <laughs> that's been running for two to three months, mostly unattended, and you get to uh, get reacquainted with your blastamusa that you put in a dark corner because you couldn't figure out how to get it happy or that one acro, you know, you've been giving it a glance for a while, but now that you're really observing it, you're like, holy crap, man, nothing is doing really good. And yeah. all these things that you thought would happen, like, yeah, I, you know what? You're not a real reef keeper until you've been through some of this stuff. And it's, it's, I wish I could, I wish I could step away from it a little bit more to rediscover my tank seasonally like like you and i and i do but it's like you know my troughs and peaks are very small compared to other folks uh, you know i go to sleep thinking about how to do this and how to do that um but there's that is that is a really great silver lining you know but you're just trusting what you've built your corals your fish your equipment it's going to be fine for a month or two months of three months of just you know casual just feed the fish and make sure your dosing containers don't run out and when you come out of uh, you know just whatever else you're doing you're like oh man <laughs> it's it's such a confidence booster too and you're like yeah. oh wait i don't have to obsess about this tank two to three hours a day you know five to ten hours a week I can literally just, you know, throw some food in there every other day for weeks on end and then come back and be like, oh, nothing's wrong. This is especially true once you have any kind of coral or reef pests under check, right? It's a little bit harder when you have, oh, yeah. um, you know, any, any nudies or acarine flatworms or aptasia or hair algae, but um, except for... Uh, all those other pests, algae is one of those things that that can burn out, or at least it can hit an equilibrium where it just doesn't really get worse. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, the other thing I was going to say too is um, I don't consider myself an expert of my own feelings. And what I mean by that is um, sometimes I'm very reactionary about how I feel about something and um, further down the road, I look back and realize like I had no idea what I was th thinking, right? So 
I don't know how many times I've made this mistake where I expand the number of reef tanks I have, then the burnout hits, and then I consolidate reef tanks because I'm like, oh, this is dumb. I don't want this many tanks. I just want one tank that's easy to take care of, blah, 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 blah. And then my wife always looks at me like, don't sell those other tanks. I'm like, no, I'm going to sell them. I'm just going to have one <laughs> tank. And she's like, no, you're going to want to set up a tank again later. And sure enough, she's right. Six months, eight months later, I'm buying a freaking tank again. I mean, you can, people who have been listening to us from the start know that I tore down a Red Sea tank. I set up a tank upstairs. I debated keeping the Red Sea tank and doing something with it. I said, no, I don't want to have two tanks. I sold it. And guess what I did? I bought a water box and put it in the exact same place that the Red Sea tank was. I was an idiot, right? And so I don't know myself and my emotions, right? I just know what I'm feeling in that moment. But someone who's married to me knows me well enough to be standing at a distance and has like the peripheral view of, oh, here he goes again, you know? And um, sometimes when you're feeling burnt out, you think this is it, this is, I'm done, you know? Whether it be completely with the hobby, whether it be with just one facet of the hobby, whatever. But I would just say, you know, if you're like me and you have a very immediate response to that maybe hold off and just understand that you know okay this is how I'm feeling right now why am I feeling this way it's it's similar to me sometimes sometimes I'm cranky and I'm like I'm angry I'm angry and I'm like all right hold on you know and then you start to analyze well when's the last time you ate you know like oh shit I didn't have lunch today I only had breakfast oh well that's why I'm cranky you know it's just I don't I'm not an expert of my own emotions or feelings and so I tend to react in a way that's not as logical. So if you're feeling burnt out and you're feeling like, oh, I'm just going to tear this whole thing down or I'm going to do this or I'm going to, if there's any advice I can give is you'll probably feel different a month or two later and you'll regret some of the things that you do. So just maybe put a hold on it, put a pin in it, wait three to four months and go, hey, am I still feeling this way? Yes or no? And why? That's the other question. Always ask why, right? I sometimes feel overwhelmed by things, but then when I stop and think about it, it's like, okay, well, topping off some additives, you know, dosing containers, occasional water change, is this tank really that overwhelming? No, it's not. It's it's pretty simple, right? Half hour a week it's all in is, your is, head. is already no, too much, but yeah. It's mostly in your head, you know? I know there's people who... You know, when they discover that I have like a thousand corals and 20 tanks, they're like, oh my God, that must be so much work. And I'm like, eh, it's like one big aquarium. And I just want to put it out there that I feel overwhelmed too. There's You've a reason a I haven't set up that. There's a reason <laughs> I haven't set up that 400 yet because yeah. I'm whelmed. You know, I'm a little bit whelmed. And in my mind, I'm putting together a game plan and like, to me, the you know the the seeds and the philosophy that are going to be incorporated into the four hundred gallon tank are the, the tank is still in development, right? Still in the R and D phase in the back of my mind. Like I know what I want to do, but there's a, a very set process, and for sure, I get feelings of being overwhelmed. And um, you know, we were really good about cleaning the glass. That's one of those things I would kind of stay on, even if you're overwhelmed, like just keep cleaning that glass. Cause sometimes if you don't clean that glass and you can't mm. see what's going inside, you might assume the worst, but man, I think like every tank I've ever had. And I have that feeling of like, Oh, I don't like the Aptasia. 
the past, the fighting, the corals, aggression towards each other, or that coral that fell all in one. I'm not going to clean the glass. And I've been there. I've totally been there. And you know what I'll do? I'll clean the glass and I'll look inside. I'm like, that is incredibly better than I was picturing in my mind for weeks. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we are finely tuned animals looking out for dangers and we compartmentalize and package some of that in our reef tanks the same way. And almost certainly anyone who's listening to this currently who's having any kind of challenges in their aquariums, be it with, with fish compatibility or, or, or coral pest or aptasia or algae, I promise you the problem is not nearly as big as you think. And sometimes you need just to like step away a little bit and do less, right? We did this one a session of reef therapy of the, the harms of overdoing things. I was incredibly impressed and surprised to see how much, uh, uh, how many views that got on, on the podcatchers and on YouTube. And I think that resonated with a lot of folks. And this is kind of like maybe like the bow of that discussion, you know, and the pin of that discussion is like, Allow yourself to feel overwhelmed. Maybe if you're feeling overwhelmed, reconsider all the different gadgets and doodads that you think you have to take care of. Go back to listen to the to the Steve Weeft uh, session of reef therapy where he talks about he's got a light, he's got flow pumps, return pumps, and a protein skimmer. And the one thing he's picking up here from the studio by adding to his tank is an automatic filter roll. Right. I think he's currently running a Pax Bellum, but he doesn't really have nutrient issues and it's just kind of there taking up room. So it's not really like doing a lot for him. But yeah, look at a tank like that and be like, uh, this master has <laughs> got four plugs, right? Like Ali. Ali's, you know, claim to fame in Amazing Aquariums Reefs. It's got three plugs. You got a light, you got a return pump, got a skimmer. Right. He lives yeah. in Cali, so he doesn't have to have a heater. And at the end of the day, that's all you fundamentally need. But when I see. These setups with wires going everywhere and, you know, um, Apex Fusion dashboard with more things than I even recognize. I'm like, dude, that doesn't sound like fun. <laughs> that does not sound relaxing. And, uh, yeah, you definitely give yourself permission to not be as engaged as you were because it will come back. Keep that glass clean because that tank looks better than you think. Yeah, and I, um, I think – if you take that 30,000 foot view, even though it's hard to do because you're living through it, right? I mean, if you're in a toxic relationship, all your friends know it before you know it, right? Because you're in the middle of it, right? And you're emotionally invested. But if you, um, and I'm not saying reef keeping is a toxic relationship, but I'm just saying it's hard to sometimes have an objective view of When you're your, up in it. Yeah, you exactly. You can't see the forest for the trees. And- Look at the patterns, right? I notice that I wax and wane in intensity with this hobby. I do. Um, and I think that's what led me to be a little less stir crazy about Acropore as an SBS, right? Like my tanks are more catered to the autopilot world, right? Um, I keep corals that don't give a crap if I just want to spend the all summer by the neighborhood pool. Um, and in the wintertime, you know, those corals might not excite me as much, but I sort of know myself in that regard where it's like, hey, these tanks are fit my lifestyle, right? When my job gets busy, when my kids after school or after weekend, you know, sports stuff goes crazy. I know I've designed a tank that doesn't give a crap if I sh don't show up that weekend. Um, and 
I, I think that's the other side of it is that some of these tanks I see uh, online, they look, they do look intense to maintain. <laughs> you know what I mean? They look, they've got a lot going on, a lot of hardware to upkeep, automatic um, testers like a Trident. Not dogging that if that's your thing, but I look at it like in the summertime, am I really going to care if that thing is um, not calibrated properly? You might have your Trident running all summer long, using up those reagents, and not look at the results once. Right. Right? Yeah. That might happen. And, um, you know, I know for my part, like here at the studio, we wipe down the tanks twice a week. And we clean the skimmers once a week, and we try to give a deep clean to the skimmer top to bottom um, twice a year, all the return pumps like twice a year, um, you know, siphon detritus as needed. And I know I could get away with half of that. We could clean the skimmers every other week. We when could deep clean them once a year, you know? And so all these things that you maybe you've been doing on a regular, maybe just do them a little bit less. I would say you know? we, we, we did uh, we did an episode on the importance of maintenance, but I'll fully admit that um, come summertime, uh, I I slack on a lot of things. But then I do have my list of like, you know, these things I will not falter on. Right? One is cleaning and emptying the protein skimmer. Obviously, uh, cleaning the glass, like you said, um, and that one's important to me, and I'll explain in a second. Um, and then checking that my dosing containers are are, are full. Um, that's that's the three, and yeah. it's not even about what you're doing. It's about just keeping the very thinnest lifeline to of connectivity to your aquarium. And if right? you have a clean glass, if even when you just don't feel like it, just spend one day a week, just make sure the glass is clean. Then those rare moments where you do sit down and crack open a beverage and sit in front of your tank, you'll have that spark again of like, oh, yeah, man, that thing's looking good, you know, and you'll care about it versus if you just let it grow into oblivion on the glass, it's going to get worse, right? Um, I feel like that's how you at least keep that connection with your tank going is keeping it aesthetically appealing, you know, by keeping the glass clean, mm -hmm. but the rest can kind of... I'm not advocating for it, but you you won't There's find me dipping my pumps and you know cleaning them and I, I, that that crap ain't happening in summertime. Sometimes you know. What were you gonna There's say? There's a lot of wiggle room. I think yeah. you nailed it. Keep your glass clean, empty your protein skimmer just to make sure you have a baseline of nutrient export, and then keep those dosing containers full. Like that's it. You know, feed your fish twice a week yeah. <laughs> through the summertime. You know, there's lean times out in nature. But I think those are the big three that helps you just keep a tiny finger on the pulse of what's happening in your reef tank. And don't feel guilty about it. I feel like guilt is a big one. You know, you feel the guilt that you know you should be you used to do more, so you sh you feel like you should be doing more, but you don't realize like your corals don't care how little or how much you're doing. Yeah, they care that there's just like a baseline of nutrients, lighting, temperature, salinity, and minerals, right? And so we 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 make these. <laughs> this is turning out to be a very uh, psychological <laughs> session of therapy, which I'm totally not equipped to discuss. Um, but when it comes to to any aquariums, freshwater or salt, um, I think uh, you know we get ourselves wound up 
on what, you know, if we, if you get started with a reef tank and you're really into it and you're doing all the things all the time, you feel like you should be doing all those things all of the time. And you really need to learn or relearn. Even if you've been in the hobby for a long time, you need to just, uh, articulate that you, your tank is probably going to be fine with half as much effort and attention. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, you know, I think um, if you do feel like you are looking to reignite that spark, but let's say you're not happy with the way you feel and you want to change it, um, I think there's ways to do that too, you know? I think if you're, um, if it's not a seasonality thing, let's just say, right? I think seasonality, just accept it and just say, okay, this always happens at this time of year or, hey, why, what else is... I'm feeling burnt out. What else is going on in my life? Maybe it's not even the tank's fault, right? Maybe you're just so busy with other crap. If you do feel like you need a kickstart, um, you know, when it comes to summertime, go pick a really good place to vacation that has great snorkeling or scuba diving, right? Just get out there. And that'll, to me, that's always been like seeing a real coral reef gets me going. Um, this conference that we both attended, a couple of weeks ago, you obviously attend a lot more than those. Those things always kickstart me, right? Because all of a sudden you're around mm -hmm. a community of passionate people and it changes, right? It changes your, your, um, your emotional reaction to reef keeping. It gets you excited again. You have interesting conversations with people at the bar and you go home and you want to like get back into your tank, you know? So Again, if you feel like you need it, like go go to a reef conference, go on a vacation, you know, that that's more This is what the theme. freshwater folks have always have done right for like a century. What's a that? literal century before the advent of radio, before television, before the internet. These guys got together once a month and they shared notes, you know, their aquarium, that was their big screen. And they looked at that and then they talked about their triumphs and their, and their challenges. And they got together once a month and talked about it. And they've been doing this for all different kinds of clubs all over the, the country. And I'm assuming in other countries too. And so, you know, reef shows is a great way. You know, we talked about this at a expo, like getting together, communing, that mm -hmm. is like, whew, that is the best, um, just natural uplifter for anything you're into. It doesn't matter. It's not even a reef aquarium thing, right? You're right. in cars, you're in computers, you're into gardening, um, you know, talking to other people and socializing about it in person, it goes a really long way. There's no substitution for, you know, some FaceTime and that real time interaction. I know, you know, you think chat is real time, but there's just nothing like just sitting down and really getting the groove the way you and I do for reef therapy. Yeah. And I think you, that's you know, why we started I know this, you know, in a way, right. That was part of it is just, um, Talking to you always gets my reef keeping going again. You know, like in times when I've waned, I'll, I'll call you. And then all of a sudden I'm like, all right, hold up. <laughs> you know, it, you know, it was super cool to buy you a few frags of corals that I have and I wanted to send to you. Those orange Samacoras, they're yeah. going to be, yeah, they're going to be, a, it's going to be about a year before they start doing what I want them to do for you. 
right? I don't know what it is about the orange Samacoras. Um, you know, I got you the orange one and then the neon orange one. But um, they just, they, you know, they sit and encrust and chill for a while and start getting up some space. But once they start branching, dude, there is no other branching coral that that's that neon orange. And no matter what you're doing, it is like the... No matter what kind of corals you keep as far as SPS and stony corals, it is an incredible contrast in terms of like shape and texture, right? And there's nothing else that's orange. So once you start growing out a really nice corn, uh, colony of or neon orange branching Samacora, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of folks out there who probably think they know a little something, something about all the different encrusting Samacora strains, but maybe haven't grown them out enough to enable some of those to start branching, you're, you're going to be talking about those corals on reef therapy here in a while because I have two different colonies. Uh, here's a request. If anybody out there has a yellow branching semicore, I saw some in Mexico City. I've got green. I've got green tip and a few shades of orange. But someone's got a line on some yellow branching semicore uh, at me any way that you can because, man, branching semicore is just – it's hearty. It's colorful. It's fuzzy. It doesn't have, you know, that crystalline – tipped branch as acropora it doesn't have the same uh you know fractal appearance that we're used to um with different species of acropora but it's such cool and so i'm excited to uh you know you so this is kind of perfect right you need to put those corals kind of on cruise control you know put them in a spot put them give them some good light and just don't expect too much out of them uh, you know, for about a year, they're going to cross, they're going to grow, they're going to look fuzzy, they're going to look real nice. But once they have a really nice established base and they start branching, oh, that's party time. Well, and the fun part of what you did too, uh, one, you you bought some things at the expo for me, which was really nice of you. And then you went to my local fish store and bought me some things and, that they set aside and you wouldn't tell me what they were, um, which was super cool. But those corals now have like this great memory. And a lot of the corals Story. I have, you know, they just have stories, right? I mean, so many of the corals that I keep are so old and have been traded back and forth with you. Um, and those are my favorite corals, right? Not the Ellie super rare, ultra blah, blah, blah coral. It's the coral I got from a friend. So The most limited edition coral is the one that you got with your friends at the fish store that one time that you all started growing out and had that story. Yeah. I could not believe that you still had the red, red chalice. chalice that you, me, and two other folks bought at Cappuccino Bay Aquarium like – 18 17 years ago <laughs> i grew mine out for 10 years and then i moved around and i just kind of gave it away and you, you still had it and that was the first echinophilia i ever had yeah right and i still remember negotiating the price down to like 40 dollars per chunk because they were not quite frags by today's standards they were nice chunks and it was like during the peak of the kind of like the moment that chalice corals were having you know and it was just a just a blood red echinophilia nothing else about it just other than it was blood red and just super nice i will never get over that and now i'm like i can't believe you have it and i'm excited to get it back and that's a piece of my life. It's like a little bit, you know, a coral that's like a piece of living diary. I can look at that every single time and think about where it all started, where we got it. And then there's the piece that I had forever in so many different tanks. It's funny, too, because um, when I went a little crazy and threw a bunch of corals in my backyard that I couldn't get to fit, um, 
I threw away a pink boobies chalice. I don't like the name, sorry. No. But yeah, it was huge and it was nice, but I just like, I couldn't fit it anywhere. But I had to select like which chalice corals I was going to keep. And even though I would argue the, the pink booby was a little prettier because it had like this bubble gum Arguably. pink. Arguably. Like yeah. not, not even a, not even a question. It was a lot prettier. But that was just a frag I bought online, right? Like I can buy another oh, okay. one. Whereas the one that uh, you and I bought at Cappuccino Bay is irreplaceable, right? So it was kind of like, yeah. yeah, I guess which one ended up in my yard as um, uh, landscaping art, you know? So how big was that pink boobies that you threw out? <sighs> About eight inches. No, dude, no. Matt, uh, stop. Don't do that anymore. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I, you, you've run out of place. Put I, it in yeah. your sump and just drop it off at the fish store. I stop do that it. a lot, too. Stop you can it. ask my local much. fish store. I show up with stuff and they're just like, ah, oh, Jesus, here comes Mark again with a bucket. <laughs> so, um, but in that moment, you know, when you're trying to move everything between tanks, I was trying to just get it all done in one day. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I, it's not. All right. It sounds awful. For anybody else. I didn't throw any wild corals away, you know. It's just these are all fraggable, easily accessible corals. I wouldn't throw like a trachophilia in my backyard. Like that'd be that'd be kind of crappy. I understand, but note to self: anyone here who is planning tank upgrades or moves, um, consider what you're going to do with the corals and do not throw them away unless it's like cold coral or (laughs) just really weedy digitata or cap. But for sure, just 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 try to find someone who can who can take it. There's definitely some corals that just you need to dry out, put back in your calcium reactor, and just redissolve them out. Yeah. No, but it was it was cool to see you and to reef really hard. And I feel like this um, this topic for reef therapy is very well timed because uh, you know my version of like taking a break is switching gears from salt to fresh. Um, while still working on my saltwater tanks and building them out, but I just not so 1000% plugged into every single coral and everything that's going on. And I just want the listeners to give themselves permission to, you know, step back from their aquariums. It should not be as demanding as a newborn child, you know, and if you're the type of aquarist that has a million gadgets and doodads and that's stressing you out, that's a great opportunity for you to reevaluate what is most critical to keeping your reef tank coasting and thriving and successful. Agreed. I mean, I know spring comes at different times, uh, wherever you live, you know, so uh, I'm here in the South and spring is definitely here. The weather's getting beautiful. I'm thinking about what kind of backpacking trips I'm going to do and what kind of gear I need to buy for that. And, you know, my other hobbies are creeping into my time. Right. Um, But at the same rate, I get it. It's um, and I said this at the uh, Aquatic Expo. Sometimes that's good, too, I think, just to, to have your brain be energized about something else for a bit. You know, I think that's mm-hmm. healthy. Um, so, yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I this just, is definitely one of our most like philosophical, psychological, yeah, but perfect but timing, right? For, I mean, just from the totally season perfect timing. Yeah. No, I turned on the AC that you might be hearing as a hum in the background here at the studio for the first time this year. And uh, yeah, the days are getting longer and they're getting warmer. I'm, I'm going out, you know, biking around the mountains here. And uh, 
I'll tell you what, though, man, after a good bike ride and a shower and a beer, when I look at my tanks, just all the little naggy things that you're just like, oh, you need to do this. You need to do this. I'm just like, ah, screw it. <laughs> just yeah. screw it. You'll be fine. I got another week or a month or, you know, before I need to deal with whatever. And, uh, yeah, I hope, uh, you know, this is kind of a little bit more of a um, abstract session of retherapy, but I know there's some folks who are going to feel us on um, what we discussed. And I want to thank everybody for joining along. It was super cool to meet up with a lot of folks at Aquatic yeah. Expo. That's the first event that you and I have both been at. Yep. Um, but, yeah, we're looking forward to doing some more limited uh editions of uh live sessions of reef therapy in the future um but yeah it's always great to get your feedback on all that stuff yeah it was really nice meeting a lot so, of you uh face to face um i think we'll we'll get our a game going in the future when it comes to microphones and all of that <laughs> for those type of presentations um yeah, but it was still fun uh i was i was really um it really made my day hearing people's feedback about re-therapy in person. So thanks to everybody yeah. that walked up and said hi. Um, it, it definitely, I, I'm not underemphasizing that. It made my day or made my week actually. <laughs> so thank yeah. you. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. I think with that, we'll wrap up this session of Reef Therapy. Thanks, everybody, for joining along. And don't hesitate to just, uh, you know, take one step back from your reef tank and put it on cruise control, especially this time of year. If you want to be a successful aquarist, you have to learn to wax and wane with the seasons and what's going mm -hmm. on in your life and your reef tank and give yourself permission not to feel guilty about it. So um, thanks again for tuning in to the session of Reef Therapy. And we catch you guys on another one very soon. All right. See you guys soon.